You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. You are the church. We are the church. I've, I've seen it a couple times on Facebook this week. It, it's a picture of a church building, and it said, Church isn't something that we go to. Church is a family that we're a part of. And really, we need to think about it that way. Because all too often in our culture today, it's just something that we attend. But it, it really is something that we are together. And, uh, and you know, in some ways, I, that's one of the reasons why I'm excited about, about going to one service at this time. Is that, that I often hear from people, well, is so-and-so, do they still come to church here? Or does so-and-so, well, yeah, they do, they just go to the other service. And, and, and for some people, it's like, wow, I get to, you know, kind of see everybody. Now, I also understand that you don't really see everybody. You know, we can't possibly be in relationship with that many people. But I think there's just something about it that, that reminds us that, that, that we are a family. And, and that as, as we live life, um, when, when, when members of the family hurt, we hurt. And, uh, and so I, I wanted to read you this. It, it's praises, positives, and, rape, and prayer requests for week of January 10th through 16th. I get this once a week from my sister-in-law, Brenda Anderson, and it's in regards to her daughter, Larissa, who is um, battling stage 4 lung cancer and going through treatment. Um, she has a PET scan on January 27th, and we continue to pray that she will be healed, that, that they will find that, that God has touched her and have, has removed it all. That's what we're hoping for. But her mom says this, As her most loyal cheerleader for her high school sporting events at Alban High School, I wrote in a 1995 devotional gift that I gave her that even more important than the good races and jumps in track that year, is the importance of always keeping your eyes on Jesus in every race of life. We are so proud of Larissa's strong faith and her love and trust in the Lord as she runs this race. It's true. It's true. Eyes focused on Jesus. The Savior and Perfecter of all things. And as we look to the book of 1 John this morning, um, if you would turn there with me, please, the book of 1 John. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible, it won't be up on the screen. You can grab a Bible in front of you. And it's page 1,207. Just as you get through Hebrews and you wonder if there's any more Bible left to find 1 John, you will, you will come to it. Um, page 1,207. This is the word of truth that we have. God has given us His word. It, it, it has power in our life. It has authority over us. And, and John, in a very loving, pastoral way, brings us these words. And in, in the book of John, he reminds us of who Jesus is. John testifies to the fact that he, that, that, that he didn't just hear about Jesus, but he saw him with his own eyes, he heard him with his own ears, and he touched him with his own hands. 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who, who claimed to be the Son of God, and, and you know, up until the point of his death and resurrection, there, there could have been doubt, but once he was crucified and he was buried dead, and three days later, he rose from the grave, and hundreds and hundreds of people saw him and heard him and touched him, there was no doubt that Jesus was the Savior. And we're, and we're going to be encouraged by the Word of God this morning, I believe, by, uh, from what the Lord has uh, for us. Now, John, I believe, is assuring us of our salvation in the book of John. In fact, in, in John chapter 5, um, verse 13, John, 1 John, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So there's no doubt. Um, there's no living life with this. Well, I, I hope that I get there, you know, that kind of thing. No, John says that we can know. That we can be assured of this. That we can live our life in this positive way. There's confusion regarding Jesus Christ in our culture today. There's, there's confusion regarding Christianity in our culture today. Many people, many people in our country believe that, that they're Christians simply for the fact that they live in the United States of America. Because for so many years we were considered a Christian nation. Well, I'm a citizen of America, so I must be a Christian. That's exactly what Satan would want them to believe. There are those who, who possibly intentionally um, have infiltrated churches in, in, with the goal of misleading them. Did I get him? Ah, rat. With the goal of misleading them. There are people who live their lives and they say one thing. They say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Um, but, but they do intentionally completely the opposite. In their life, you look at them and you go, "Well, I, man, I just don't see any evidence for this. It, that's hypocrisy, it, and 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 it comes from a misunderstanding of who Jesus Christ is, and 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 a misunderstanding of how serious sin is. It's not something that can just be swept under the rug, and we're going to see that today. There are consequences to sin. Sin brings darkness into our life." But Jesus is the word of life. You know, John uh, mentions this in his letter. It mirrors the, the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word, and, and the word was God, and the word was with God. In the beginning, Jesus Christ. John also says that sin is a reality. And in, in just to review a little bit from chapter 1, John says it's, it's, it's a reality in your life and in mine. You know, and there are those who, who misunderstand Jesus Christ and, and, and spirituality and what it means to be a citizen of heaven. And, and, and they think that, well, you know, you say this and I see you go to church, but then you say things like this or you do this. And they think, well, you, you, can't, be, you can't be a Christian. Yes, yes, they, they can. And... And, and this is where the challenge is, and this is where I believe John really encourages us, all of us today. Um, in, in 1 John 1, 9, John says that we can be cleansed from all of our... That, that we are washed clean. That when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, Paul says we will be saved. We can know that. That's something that we can, we can be assured that we can be sure about. 
In fact, when that happens, we become a new creation. We, we go from being aliens in a foreign country to citizens of heaven. Have you ever been an alien in a foreign country? We're pretty spoiled here in America, right? I mean, you know, what do you call somebody that knows three languages? What are they? They're trilingual, right? What about two? Bilingual. What about one? They're American. Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we, we are spoiled. We, are, we don't know what it really feels like to be in a foreign, especially this long um, since, you know, um, our immigrants, our original, my original immigrants who came in the late 1800s. Um, probably felt at times. I mean, there's reasons why they all live together in certain communities because that's what they knew. Look at you. Look where you're sitting. Right? We're creatures of habit. We like the same thing. Um, But this, I've been, I I, I spent uh, two and a half months in Mexico City. Me and a friend and 50 other um, Christians, we were there on a mission trip, but we all weren't all together all of the time. So there's 54 Americans in a city of, at that time, I think it was about 20 million. You talk about feeling like a foreigner. You, I mean, we would get on the bus in the morning. And, and of course, we had our backpacks on the front because if you wore it on the back, um, they would cut the bottom of your backpack and steal the stuff out of it. Um, we, would, we, we would get on a bus and all eyes would be on us. I mean, of course, we're ahead above everybody else. I mean, this is the way it is. And, and we're the only white, blonde people on the bus. And I have never felt so uncomfortable in my life. I, a foreigner in a foreign land. And, and when we come to Christ, John says we, know, we are no longer a foreigner uh, in, in the country, but, but, but we are citizens in heaven. We are citizens in heaven. We, we go from aliens to being citizens in heaven. Our legal status changes. We are justified. The Bible says that we are adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And, and at that moment, we begin the process called sanctification. And that's what John is talking about today. Sanctification can only begin after salvation. Sanctification happens because of our salvation. We don't become sanctified in order to be saved. Let's not get those mixed up. Let's, let's pick up the letter. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Four times, John refers to us as dear children. Dear children, those that I love, those that I'm deeply concerned about. That's us. He's deeply concerned that we don't live our lives aimlessly lost and deceived. That that we don't live our lives swayed by false teachers, antichrists, as as he refers to them at the end of of this chapter, in fact. Um, People that teach against Jesus as Messiah. John says in verse 1 that he's writing so that we don't sin. He doesn't want us to sin. We don't want our children to sin. We don't want them to make bad decisions and poor mistakes. But they do. And John knows that we will. That's why there's a but. In fact, in the earlier chapter, and Adam talked about it last week, John says that, that if you say that you, if you claim to be without sin, you're a liar. You have sin. You make bad decisions. We make poor choices in life. 
And John is saying, praise God that we have Jesus who speaks to the Father in our defense. John's heart cry for us, his ultimate goal is sanctification, to be completely filled. But we know that perfection is not possible on this side of heaven. My dear children, I write, to, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin. I would even go as far to say that John means here, when you do sin, it's going to happen. So the goal is to not sin. The goal is to always obey God's laws. The goal is to follow His commands and do what He wants us to do. Our goal is to remain in close fellowship with Jesus. But what happens when we fall short of that goal? What happens when we wake up one day and go, Wow, how did I get here? There's, all, there's so much darkness in my life. There's so many bad decisions. What, what will happen if, if we find ourselves in that place? Will we lose? Do we lose our salvation? Will, will our citizenship in heaven be revoked? Will our adoption papers be burned and we will be returned to the orphanage on the road to hell? Is that going to happen? No. No. That won't happen. You see, once we surrender, once we respond to the call of God on our life, our name is written in the Lamb's book of life and we are eternally saved. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. He doesn't say nothing but sin. He says nothing can separate us from the love of God. In, in 1 John, in, in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus himself says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. If He has given you eternal life and you have received that as a gift, what does Jesus say? You're mine. You've been adopted into my family as my child and no one will snatch you out of my hand. Even when we make poor decisions and choices, we can know that we're saved. Even when we have bad attitudes, even when we think bad things about other people, we can know that we're saved. John says, be encouraged today with these, with these three realities, and I'm going to get through them pretty quickly. Three ways of describing, uh, of describing Christ followers, because I think that's what John is describing here. Now, a Christian, of course, Christians, I already mentioned this, get a bad rap in our culture today. A Christian, the definition of Christian is a Christ follower. Um, it means a disciple or a servant of Jesus. A Christian, and this is who John is writing to, has confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that Jesus is Lord, the Messiah, the I Am. Salvation and these realities we're going to look at are a part of the process we as Christians are going through. One that we must submit ourselves to. First of all, Christ followers know who Christ is. Christ followers know who Christ is. As a Christ follower, I know that Jesus actually walked the earth. I've, I've seen, I've read about it. I've seen eyewitness testimony. I believe it. John heard his voice, saw him with his own eyes. John says that Jesus not only came, died, and rose again, but he, that he speaks to the Father in our defense. Here's the cool thing about this. Jesus is our defense attorney in the court of law. 
Jesus is our defense attorney. He goes before the judge of the universe and he pleads our case. That's what John is saying. He goes before the judge of the universe and he pleads our case before him. Our sin makes us guilty and there's nothing that we can do about it. Not one thing that we can do about our own sin. But he doesn't, Jesus, so Jesus defends us, but he doesn't plead our case based on our merits, based on the things that that we have done. Not our righteousness before the Father, because we don't have anything to offer. But, John says in verse 1, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ the righteous one. You see, it's what he did. It's what he did for us. It's the righteousness of Jesus. It's his purity, his sinlessness. We can know that. We can know that he did that for us. And our knowing him grows and grows as we follow and seek to obey. It's the process of sanctification that's going on in your life and in mine. It's it's no different than a child that's adopted into a family learns to become a part of that family and learns to, to know that this parent loves them and, and, that, that, and, and to understand that this parent disciplines them not because, because the parent hates them but, the, but because the parent wants them to grow up. As Christ followers, we know who Jesus is. He is our defense attorney. But, but our amazing relationship with him doesn't stop there. He not only stands before God the Father as our defense attorney, but when the verdict is read, you are guilty and, and you deserve hell, condemnation. Jesus steps into our position then and takes the punishment and has taken the punishment for us. So as Christ followers, we trust what Christ did, point number two. We trust what Christ did. We receive grace, forgiveness that's not deserved. Look at verse two. He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus' atonement wasn't just available for the people in John's day. This atonement wasn't available just for the Jews. This atonement was made available to all people for all time. That's what John is saying right here. And Jesus takes our place. When, when we put our faith in Jesus as Savior, from that day on, God sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ. The, the price has been paid. There was a San Diego newspaper that contained a story that implied that a judge was going to be impeached for fixing his son's parking tickets. I don't know about you, but I don't think that's a very smart thing for a judge to do, fix your child's parking tickets. Now, why couldn't the judge still sit in judgment over bigger and more serious lawbreakers? Why? Why would they want to remove him from the bench? And, and I think that's, how some people ex- that's what some people expect God to do. He's going to overlook the parking fine kind of sins that we commit, but, but you know the major leaguers, boy, he's going to really hit those hard. He's going to hold people accountable for those. Well, a, a, judge, a good judge can't, can't do that, right? I mean, even, even in the human judiciary system, we recognize that if the judge violates the standard of justice, 
which he is obligated to uphold, he has no right to judge anyone else by that same standard. In a similar way, if God were to say to even one parking fine sinner, oh, it's, no real, it's not really that big a deal, I'm just going to let it slide, then, then he would have no basis to send Adolf Hitler or even Satan himself to hell. If even imperfect sinful man recognizes that impeaching a judge is necessary in this case, how much less can a perfectly holy God do what imperfect sinful man shouldn't even do? Would the Creator have a lower standard of morality than the creature? God will not grade on a curve. He won't do it. And... and he won't do it and, and still be a perfect creature, would he? He, he? he couldn't. You see, the penalty for that sin, for the sin that you commit and that I commit, must be paid. It is a debt. Now, let's say that, that as this son stands before his father, facing punishment for all of these parking tickets, let's say the fines and everything amount to $1,000. And, and the son is standing there, and, and the father, as the, the, the true judge that he is, slams the gavel down and he says, guilty, you must pay the fine. And then that judge hangs up his coat, and he walks down, and he goes to the clerk, and he writes out a check for $1,000, and he makes payment. Has justice been served? Yes, it has. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, but that wouldn't be a really good lesson for the kid, would it? I wouldn't pay my kids parking tickets. But a loving, gracious, forgiving God does just that with you and me. God, as the righteous judge, looks at us and says, You're guilty. You're condemned to hell. He slams the gavel down. And then in the person of Jesus Christ, he took off his robe and he came down here. And he paid that price. Wow. And it was a great price. And even when we sin today, even when we sin today, and we want to walk into that darkness, the light of Christ is still shining in our life. He's forgiven it. Now, when we do sin, and John says that we will, we trust what Christ did. And we obey what he says we should do. We repent and we trust. Paul said in Romans 6, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? You see, he knows people. And, and he knows that, that there are people that he's writing to in his letter, and I'm thinking that, that maybe some of you are thinking that this morning. Well, then it doesn't matter what I do if I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. And Paul's saying... Yes, it matters. Why would you do that? Why would you create distance in your relationship? You have this incredible gift of relationship. The creator of the universe has reached into your life. 
wants to shine light into your life. Why would you turn away from that? Why would you, why would you want to, to introduce darkness? Paul says, by no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And he goes on in verse 11. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We've been freed from the bondage of sin. We don't do these things just because that's all we know anymore. We, we can choose not to. And again, John understands that, that sometimes we're going to choose to. Paul goes on, verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. Paul is saying, since we are saved... Does that give us permission to do whatever we want? No. In fact, more often than not, it should give us the desire to do right and to do good. But Satan doesn't just sit idly by and let us be that way. He tempts us and, and uses other people. And As children of God, adopted into his family, our attitude should be that of wanting to please him. We now want to reciprocate what he's done for us. Uh, we, we want to do what's right because of the salvation we have received. Again, don't get those backwards. It's very important. Number three, Christ followers do what Christ commands. Verses three through six, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he, he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And that is a process. The process that we're in as Christ followers. Submitting ourselves to the word. You know, and our words can't be empty. I mean, you can see it, right? Um, it, it, it's lying just like John says it is. We're, we're lying to ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves um, when, when we're saying one thing and we're doing another. I mean, the title of this, of this series is Get Real. And what we want us to do is, is to be real and honest with what we think and how we act and all of those and to surrender those to the light of Christ. When we obey God's word, that's evidence that God's love is being made complete in us. Moving forward in the sanctification process. Are we perfect? No. No. There was a hockey player one day. He was moved by the Spirit of God in a chapel service that their, their, uh, their chaplain had for them, and he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know many hockey players personally. I know one, actually. And, and, and when he tells stories, which he's really not very proud of, of what it was like when he was a carnal hockey player, um, it, it, you know, it was pretty bad. Well, this hockey player uh, put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as a Savior, and, and he was overcome by the love and forgiveness that he felt over this new faith that he had now found that he had and but when he went out on the road chaplain didn't travel with them he 
he fell into some of the bad habits that he had, he had gained through his years playing on the team. And, and when, he, when he met again with the team chaplain, he began to question his commitment to God. He, he began to ask things like, like was, the, was God's grace real in my life? Did this really happen? Um, he even questioned his salvation. Maybe it wasn't real. Satan can cause us to ask questions like that. Well, the team chaplain asked him a couple of questions that that resolved his fears. And, and I think is where John is headed in, in the book of First John. First of all, the chaplain asked him if he knew the things that he had done were wrong. Were, were those things wrong? And he said, oh yeah, they were. And, and then he asked him if he felt guilty for doing them. I mean, what, what was your sense afterwards? And he was like, oh man, it was terrible. And then the chaplain asked him the most important question of all. Did you feel that way before you gave your life to Jesus? And he was like, you know, no. No, I did those things without thinking anything. And the chaplain's like, you see, even now, even in your failures, Jesus is shining the light into your life. Something has changed in your life. It's the presence of the grace of God through faith in Christ. And the best thing of all is that God continues to work in our lives every day. Every day. Every failure. Every success. Every praise. Every day. Christ followers know who Christ is. They trust what Christ did and they do what Christ commands. And our attitudes and our behaviors and our thoughts and our actions, they, they, be, they begin to be transformed. I mean, I think completely different now than I did 20 years ago. If, if you're here this morning and you've been a Christ follower for a week or two weeks or three weeks, tell me that you're, how you think of the world isn't different than it was before. It's the grace of Jesus Christ in your life. And, and Galatians 5.22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And I only mention that this morning so that we recognize that the change that happens in our life is not because we're so good, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It, it doesn't say the fruit of David is self-control and all of those things. It says the fruit of the Spirit. And then John shows us three ways that this true light shines. First of all, the light shines in God's law. We hold it in our hands. His statutes. Dear friends, John says, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. Uh, this old command is the message you have heard. And then he changes gears and he says, yet I am writing you a new command. And you're like, whoa, why? I thought it was an old one and now you say it's new. Yes, because all throughout the course of history, up until Jesus Christ, everybody knew what was going to happen. The prophecies, the, the word of God, salvation, they knew what was required. And now John says, look, this is the cool thing. Jesus Christ, it's a new thing. It's a new thing. Its truth is seen in Him, Jesus, and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Oh. We've had God's law from the beginning. David mentions it. Let me give you a, a psalm to, to read on this week. Psalm 19, David talks about the Word of God and how it impacts his life. 
the, the word of God, the law, looks trustworthy. It, it helps make us wise. It, it looks good to a Christ follower. We struggle on a daily basis. We do. But ultimately, as we allow God's word to impact our lives, it, it changes us. It moves us in a different direction. The, the, the way that he would have us to go. We know its benefits and allow it to shape and mold our lives. God's light is shining in his word. The light also shines through our love. Because of Christ in us, we are able to love other people. Um, Anyone, verse 9, who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. If you have ever held a grudge or held hate against someone, you know what that can do to your life. It's darkness. And, And it causes us to stumble and it causes us to fall. John is right. There is nothing in him to make him stumble though, who, who submits himself to the light. The Bible is saying that if we feel hate, if we feel anger, if we feel frustration, those kinds of things, those kinds of things resolve in the darkness. We need to submit ourselves to the light. There are consequences to hanging out in the dark. And we're lying to ourselves if we don't think that those consequences are there. As a Christ follower who has experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ, our perspective towards others changes, doesn't it? Sometimes it's still hard. I had to submit an attitude I had towards a person for several years before the Lord finally, I don't know, broke my spirit, helped me to see, got me out of the darkness. I can see that person on the street and say, hi, hey, how's it going? Without any ill will in my heart. That's what the grace of Christ does. I could have held on to that. Yuck. Really, honestly, it might feel good for a time. It's just destruction. It's just destruction. And, 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 and the Word of God says that they will know our Christians how. They will know we're Christians what? By our love. That's the way that the light shines. And finally, the light shines in Christians' convictions. Having been purified by Jesus as our defense attorney and the one who suffered for us, the light now shines in us and will shine forth in our convictions. Those things that we believe and that we hold to. Verse 12, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name, the name of Jesus Christ. I write to you, fathers, and I think probably mothers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Standing on our convictions. Our, vic- our, our convictions become in alignment with what God wants for us over time. It, it, it's a process. 
wouldn't that be great if our children were born, they were Caitlin's age, and then shebang, they were 25. Full responsible adults the next day. I don't know if I'd like that or not. There's pros and cons to that, I suppose. But, but, but it's a process of maturity, just like in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a process of maturity, and we just continually submit ourselves to that every day. It doesn't matter what age you are, socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter what your heritage is, where you came from. It doesn't matter if you're from Torrington or Yoder or Guernsey or Lusk or Lingle. It doesn't matter if you're a dogger or a blazer or a viking or a tiger. It doesn't matter if you're a bronco or a patriot. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. You know, if you haven't up until today surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, maybe as the message has gone, you've, you've heard him calling your name saying, surrender to me. Surrender to me. May today be the day. Take that first step. Respond to his call on your life. And I can tell you that you will never regret it. Oh, Satan wants to convince you of that sometimes. But you will never regret it. This will be a great new beginning for you. It would be as if you had a new command in your life. <laughs> if, you're here, if you're sitting here this morning and you know, you know that you're His, that you're His child, I, I pray that this morning has been an incredible encouragement to you. For, for you can look back on your life and see that, that, that though you're not there yet and though you still struggle, that God has been changing your heart. God has been changing your life. God has been changing your attitudes. But yet we need to repent daily of the sin that's in our lives. And maybe you've been hiding in the dark. Maybe there's darkness in your life that you need to repent of and surrender. Do that today. It's be a good day. Be a good day. As painful as it is sometimes, and I've tried to come up with different analogies, and I think infection is probably the best one that I can think of. You know, if you have an infection, or you think you might have an infection, you have a couple, you know, options. One, you could ignore it, hope that it goes away. I think that's how we treat sin in our life. Often, we just hope that it will stop and that it will go away, and but all the time it's festering and growing and getting stronger and holding us and making us sick and ill. But we also know that if we submit ourselves to the doctor and we go there, that, that the doctor might do some things that are going to be painful. They might put us in the hospital. It might be expensive. It's going to cost something. But ultimately, in the end, what would be the best thing? To surrender yourself to the light. Let's do that. Let's surrender ourselves to the light. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Um, thank you for your love and grace and mercy. Thank you um, that... Oh, just for the encouraging words of John. 
that we can know and that we can trust. Help us to surrender daily. And Lord Jesus, as the ushers come forward and we pick up our morning offering, I pray that, that you would uh, use it. Use it to uh, further proclaim the gospel in our, our own communities, uh, across our nation and across the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Roy's just going to play a song while the ushers take up the, the morning offering, and then I'll get up and I'll, I'll close this.